The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 36, Flying in Formation, $100 Hamburger Trips in Hawaii, the Obstacle Departure Procedure Explained, and more coming up now in this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 36 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm your host, Len Costa, and joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation supermodels, starting with uh, Carl Valeri, joining us from... Uh, where, well, actually, where are you today, Carl? You've been in. Uh, you've been weathering the storm, Sandy Storm, uh, Hurricane sure Sandy, have. but uh, are, you, are you still up there? No, actually, I am. The reason I'm able to do this is I'm in, uh, in Florida right now. Actually, we still don't have power. Or we just got internet today up in New Jersey, but uh, we have wires everywhere, amazingly enough. You know, we can send someone to the moon, but we can't get power to our house. That does happen. <laughs> no, it was pretty devastating. It was shocking. I totally was unplugged. I couldn't get on the internet. It was, it was a sad state of affairs. You don't realize <laughs> how, much you, how much you rely on things. I had no idea of the devastation of the storm, actually. Right. Think about it. Because we had no clue. Yeah. And, and it was amazing what it did to some of the airports. I mean, you see the picture of, what was it, LaGuardia that was underwater? Yeah, it was underwater. Wow. You needed, <laughs> that was you needed, else. Uh, you needed pontoons to land there. Yes, yes. Flow planes, which originally, that's what they used to fly in there. Is it really? Back to the old days. Is that yeah. what it was called? Um, what was it? What it used the, to be called? Oh, gosh, now. Was it J- I always forget. Is it LaGuardia or JFK used to be called um, Idlewild? Which one was Idle- it? I think it was LaGuardia was Idlewild. Yes, Idlewild. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, we're glad that you're, uh, you're back with us and safe and sound. Uh, our next co-host, Victoria Zyko, welcome to the show today. Hello. Hello. And I heard uh, besides one fallen tree in your backyard, you fared through Sandy pretty well. I did. Um, it was funny. Um, all the winds were coming out of the north, and we're on the south side halfway up a mountain. So I actually got pretty lucky that the mountain protected me from everything. Uh, friends were texting me, gosh, it's scary. It's so windy. And I'm like, huh, what's up? It, I, it was calm except for that one tree, which is a very scary sound. Huh. Yeah. Why? Was it like in the middle of the night or something? It wake you up? No, I was sitting, uh, I think it was on facebook or something and just you just hear it i mean yeah it just cracks through (laughs) even throughout the wind you hear it and you hear it go down you don't know where it's going so that's what's scary wild wild well you made it through too and uh our our other co-host this evening or uh, rick felty actually he made it through the storm as well he's not going to be able to join us today uh it's kind of it's uh a interesting story we were supposed to schedule we were actually supposed to record this episode the night that hurricane sandy did hit uh, the northeast and we rescheduled to a few days ago and uh, with everybody still trying to recuperate from either a power loss or internet loss or other things 
we ended up rescheduling, gosh, I think maybe four or five times now. And unfortunately, Rick isn't able to join us on the show today, but he does send his best regards. Uh, like I said, he did make it through the storm okay. And uh, I'm your co-host, Len Costa, as I mentioned, and we're um, recording today from uh, from the backup studios out here in the Chicago suburbs. I did not have any issues with Sandy. I flew out the day before. I decided I don't want to weather that storm out in New England and get stranded. So I returned to the Midwest and um, everything is good, safe and sound. Let's do the pre-flight. We'll start off the show today with the uh, couple of announcements, starting with Victoria. You want to get a jump start uh, on your favorite event of the year. Yeah, I know it's a few months out, but um, earlier the better. Um, This is just your friendly reminder that Women of Aviation Week is March 4th through 10th, 2013, and we are in need of people around the world to host events introducing women to aviation throughout this awesome week. Really, do it. You'll be so thankful you did. It's just a remarkable experience. Um, My personal goal as U.S. team leader is to have at least one event in each of the 50 states. And right now, everyone is talking about how small the pilot population has become these days. And did you know that if we have one event in each of the 50 states, and if each introduce at least 100 ladies to aviation throughout that week, and if only 2% of those women choose to become pilots, the female population would grow by 10% annually. Wow. Wow. So... I like those numbers. So just message me or visit womenofaviationweek.org for more information. Do it now. Do it now. I've got a uh, I've got a serious question for you. Uh, yes. It's an event to promote aviation for women, but I mean, if I you know, if Carl or I wanted to do one or you know, in a different state, do we have to be a woman to, you know, host and promote the event? No. Okay. Perfect. We like guys too. Anyone can host the event. We're giving credit to anyone who's introducing women to aviation, whether that's some um, event at a museum, whether it's just a personal person doing free flights. But we do really like those marathon flight days where a bunch of pilots get together and just fly girls sure. throughout the day. That's what's been the most successful and, frankly, the most fun. Yeah. Well, good. Good. It sounds that. like a lot of work. Boy, I tell you, uh, how, how hard is it to put one of these together? It depends how big you do it. Um, It's not that difficult because you'll be surprised at how overwhelming the response will be. Pilots want to do this. I had to put pilots on a waiting list last year. I had so many volunteer. So that's not the problem. The problem is getting the sponsors and all the extra special stuff. If you want, like, special guests come. Last time we had Sarah from Flying Wild Alaska come out. So, you know, it. I start six months in advance, but that's only because... There are so much um, different aspects of the Frederick event. It's become very large, and now mm-hmm. it's actually going to be throughout the whole entire week this year. I mean, in 2013. So you can pull it together after Christmas. Um, that will be when the big <laughs> rush comes. So, um, But if you can get it to us before and tell us about it, you know, I'm the U.S. team leader. I'm there to help you. I'm there to help you promote it. I'm there to give you ideas if you have any questions. That's what I'm here for. I'm the, the support for everyone here on the U.S. side. So so what is the website again? Womenofaviationweek.org. Excellent. And, you know, just as an aside, Victoria, last year, you know, Len and I got involved. And, and I tell you, it really, it was a moving event just to watch all these people be introduced to aviation from both young children 
up to people that are well into retirement. All these women out there just going out and flying mm-hmm. for the first time. You could see the excitement on their face. It was terrific. Wait, you're thinking you're only involved for one year? You don't think I got plans for you two in 2013? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we're going to, you know, oh, we're, move these chairs. <laughs> yeah, move the, move the chairs. Run and get me an extension cord. My name's cord. Victoria. Move these chairs. <laughs> yeah, my That's all I remember for last year. Line. Get me an extension cord stat. Stat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, either way, you know, maybe we'll run our own event or we'll uh, we'll be back in Frederick to help out with you. Exactly. Certainly, uh, certainly is definitely a good event. It's a, it's an important event to participate in nonetheless. And so we look forward to that. Um, Carl, tell us about your two announcements. One of them is coming up and one of them, I don't just, I don't know why, but uh, you, you're really up. jumping the gun on this one, given a, quite a long distance announcement. <laughs> <laughs> Start with the one that's coming up close to uh, to today. Close to today is one thing that uh, actually I will be there reporting for the Stuck Mike Avcast. Oh, God. God bless you. <laughs> I couldn't stop it and I couldn't mute in time. <laughs> Got to keep that in. Yeah, well, that'll stay. <laughs> <laughs> no edits. It's all right. The, uh, but the U.S. Uh, Sport Aviation Expo is coming up in Sebring, Florida. Actually, the uh, Sun and Fun Radio will be part of that event now. It's going to be... Uh, the folks from Flight Time Radio in conjunction with Sun and Fun Radio being sponsored by live, our friends at Live ATC. And they're going to have a, a live streaming on the Sun and Fun Radio. If you can't make it out there from January 17th to 20th, 2013, you'll want to listen to it. Really, to me, the U.S. Sport Aviation Expo, it's about light sport a- aircraft. And, and to me, this is where aviation begins. It begins in these small aircraft where people just are are so excited about getting in a small airplane and going flying. But usually when we start, where do we start? We start with a small plane, and you never know where that's going to bring you. You could It could bring you to buying one of these sport, light sport aircraft. It could spawn somebody's interest in learning how to fly or just get them into the hobby of building one. Sure. Or it might spur somebody's interest in having you know a career in aviation. But it actually last year was their biggest year. The light sport aircraft, even though they seem expensive, if it's brand new, say in the 100, 130, 150 range, is still a lot cheaper than a, a normally uh, registered aircraft, or, or I should Part 23 aircraft. So, Well, I'm glad it, that you actually made that point, Carl. I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, in that, it was a couple episodes ago that we talked about that. I actually had made personally made a comment about the cost of uh, light sport aircraft. And I did have a listener write in and he said, you know, it's not necessarily just the initial outlay for purchasing the aircraft, but what you're looking at is lower maintenance costs, lower fuel burn, lower fuel costs, lower insurance costs. So the operating costs are a lot lower. So it's not just, you know, like I was saying, hey, I could buy a new light sport for 150000 or a 20, you know, 20-year-old IFR 172, but, um, you know, there's still some cheaper operating expenses. So I just wanted to throw that in there since you were talking about it. I, uh, you know, that was an email that I received and that was just one thing that I hadn't even looked at. I hadn't considered that side of it. And you know, the, the light sport aircraft are on the used market. They're, they're really a good value. And, uh, I have a lot of friends. I'm actually, I'm helping somebody, uh, purchase one right now. And, uh, boy, it, you know, four gallons an hour. That's really cheap. It is cheap. You know? And if and, it's burning av- or, uh, car gas, it's even cheaper. Yep. yep. You can get auto gas. You can do 100, 100 low lead. And the maintenance, like you said, is lower. Uh, a lot of them use those Rotax engines, and you can do a lot of the maintenance yourself, especially if you go and get some training. But but this new this 
the Sport Aviation Expo is, is not just about light sport aircraft. They're also going to have uh, an air show for the first time. It's actually going to have uh, Team RV and also Patty Wagstaff is uh-huh. going to be there. Cool. And this is one of my favorite shows of the year. It's, the again, the Sebring U.S. Sport Aviation Expo. Sebring, Florida, it's really easy to find. And uh, if you're in Disney, if you're on the east or the west coast, it's right in the middle. You can get to it easily. So go to – it's at sportaviationexpo.com, sport-aviation-expo.com. And we'll have a link on, on the uh, website for that. Now, now, tell us about the one that you're like really – this is like a, a – a, Total plan-ahead type of event. Now, this is a plan-ahead because it's a little bit further away from most of our audience, and that's actually the Dubai Air Show. The Dubai Air Show, boy, this is an air show that's really been been growing, and it's been growing because obviously all the money that they've been making in the Middle East from from oil, and they have a huge budget for airlines, and they purchase large aircraft, a 380, but they're also really big into aviation, uh, military aviation. And this, it's at uh, DubaiAirShow.Aero. And this show is, has, has all the new stuff, you know, all the new fighters, all the new uh, A380s. It has displays. It's, it's more of a show for airliners and corporate and military, but anybody can go to it. And if you get a chance, you, it, you really should go see it because they built this brand new expo center for this event. And it's every other year. And the re- it's every other year because, you know, they have people from all over the world come out. And it's actually, I think now it's like what, the third largest air show uh, out there. So you, you really want to check it out. And they um, um, getting there is, is fairly easily. Uh, you got Qatar. You got uh, uh, Etihad. Etihad. They have who else? Uh, you know, United Arab Emirates, of course, and Dubai. So you can, you can easily get there. But it's, it's something different. I mean, you, you hear about all these other shows. This one is going to be something that I, I think you'd. You'll you'll get something from, and you'll actually uh, see things from a different perspective while you're over there. Yeah, Dubai. I've never been there. That could be cool, actually. What uh, when is what month is that again? It's oh, I'm sorry. It's uh, 17th through the 21st of November. So exactly 2013, a year, a year from now. Yeah, 2013, yeah. right? And then it's 2015 is the one after that. Right. And if you just go out to the website Dubai Air Show, and they'll show you some of the people that'll be there. And they actually have some, some a really good uh, air show out there. Uh, some fighters and some. Some really good performers. So, right. you know, it's there's a lot of visitors that go out to this. Well, Lots of exhibitors. Are you going? Bunch. Are you going to make I'm it out there? I'm going to try, try to get out there. I have a I've friend always that wanted to go to Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Dhabi. Yep. Why it's, don't we uh, make that our uh, official meetup for, for once? Would you since, like since to? Since the four yeah. of us have never been been in one place at the same time. Maybe that's it. Maybe this yeah, that is would the, make big, it easy for us, the big man. event. That's a great idea. Let's go all the way to Dubai to <laughs> Dubai. hang out. <laughs> Can we try something in the U.S. first? I'll think about it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Interesting challenge. Yeah, but no, no doubt. that's a it's a cool one though, especially for those uh, that listen to us that are airline pilots. They can just jump seat out there. I mean, it's free. Jump on out there and check it out. Sure, sure. Well, before uh, before we do depart the announcements section of the show today. In fact, we've been chatting for a little while. I did want to give um, I did want to give a, a close personal friend uh, a shout out, a birthday shout out. Another aviation podcaster from the Plane Crazy Down Under, uh, Australia's premier aviation podcast, as a matter of fact. And that co-host is uh, Grant McCarran. It is his birthday today. Uh, well, the day that we're actually recording the show, when the show is released, it's after his birthday. But if you see him online, uh, the Twitter handle is at PCDU. So, uh, so jet over there and wish uh, Grant a belated happy birthday. And from all of us Yankees up here, happy Hatchling Day, Grant. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we're big fans. Oh, he's great. 
I tell you, Grant actually wants to do a beer intervention with me because I was going to send him a Foster's. He says, no, no Foster's. They actually don't like it too much down there. <laughs> Foster's is Australian beer for Americans. For Americans. Right, exactly. Okay. All right. All right. Sure. No problem. Now entering cruise flight. Well, cool. Well, let's move along to uh, to the nitty gritty of the uh, show today. Um, we're going to do a little discussion, start off the discussion with formation flying. And because uh, actually, Victoria, this guy, I don't know if you were thinking about formation flying, but you do enjoy aerobatics and, and some of these other things. But tell us, um, you know, tell us your story of formation flying. Well, um, my story just started out as one day we were meeting a friend out at the airport and we were going to go flying together. And then we ran into another friend and then he decided to join us. So a group of three planes in total went for uh, a fall foliage. I can't even say it now. Pretty trees, <laughs> colors. Foliage. Um, <laughs> I'll sneeze again too, I swear. Yeah, um, so anyway, we went to Luray Caverns, which is just a short hop away from here. And uh, it was two glass airs and a rand's. So uh, once in the air, we all met up and the glass airs, we went in formation and we pretty much had to slow down like to half our speed and circle around the rands so we could all land at the same time. Um, it was beautiful. It was fun. Um, but you really have to stay on your toes when you do formation in flight. So um, here's some technical stuff for you. Um, the FAA has to say the following about formation flight. It is operating near another aircraft where no person may operate an aircraft so close to another aircraft as to create a collision hazard, and also no person may operate an aircraft in formation flight except by arrangement with the pilot in command of each aircraft in formation. And then finally, C, no person may operate an aircraft carrying passengers for higher information flight. And you can find that in your FAR AIM. It's under 91.111 if you want to read that yourself. Um, for this recent flight, we had to ensure first that we were not creating a collision hazard. That to me relates to your personal limitations pretty much and experience with your formation flight. So we got close enough for some really good pictures, but not too close so that a small deviation from altitude or heading could put us in immediate danger. If you have not done formation before, you could be put into immediate danger because it's so easy to see the subtle differences and adjustments needed when flying this way. Um, next, uh, what was the, we said B, no person may operate an aircraft in formation flight except for arrangement with all others in relation to the flight. So we did that, obviously. Um, we all knew that we were going to fly together. Um, the friend of mine in the RANS, a friend of mine in the glass air, and then Bob flew while I took photos. Um, come to think of it, I actually didn't get to fly a plane at all that day. That was very poorly planned. Um, <laughs> Somebody has to use the camera. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we all knew what was going on and that we'd be there would be some formation flying. So we all went on to our own air-to-air -air frequency to keep the communication intact. Um, we did not do something new or change positions without notifying the other. So every step was planned and agreed on before we moved. So in, in that planning phase, like we what did you guys talk about on the ground before you got in the air? You know, you, know, you obviously knew that you were gonna go up. And a three, you know, three ship formation. But mm -hmm. what did you guys talk about, uh, um, you know, to get all these uh, things uh, figured out on the ground? Not too much. Um, we all took off at different times and had to go find each other. Okay. So something we always did was what heading we were, 
Um, we all had our GPSs going to the airport, so we knew um, our DME from the airport. And then what altitude we were at. And those were three things we always communicated to each other, especially if we lost track of each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that's pretty much all it took once we were in the air. You know, we all know each other very well, so we didn't have, like, a formal briefing beforehand. But yeah, what, I would suggest did, it. Did you guys, like, pick who was going to be, you know, what position and all that stuff so you could keep track of it? And... We did once we were in the air. Yeah. Okay. We, we knew who was following who and such like that because right. we switched on and off just to just to practice and we weren't close enough that it would cause any damage so right yeah um finally part c to be legal we were not carrying passengers for hire so we were good to go there um there's one final thing i wanted to mention um there's an aopa article from 2001 called formation fumbles um i highly recommend you check it out and read it because it has some scary statistics about formation flying um, it says the AOPA Air Safety Foundation reviewed the years from 91 to 2000, during which the NTSB recorded 160 mid-air collisions. About 17% or 28 mid-air collisions occurred from formation flight. So that being said, I really didn't want to give a lesson about formation flying. I kind of wanted to hear um, your experiences and your tips and tricks with this type of flight. Is this something you guys done? Have, have, little, little, little. Is this something you guys have done before? <laughs> it's the wine. It's called Annapolis it Sunset. <laughs> it's the wine. <laughs> it's well, always it. something. Uh, it, it's it actually I pretty cool. For everything. Uh, you know, you were right about the training. I mean, look at the military. They go out there and they train all the time. And uh, as a matter of fact, have you ever, did I ever mention the Eumistic Air Crew uh, on the podcast? Well, I'm going to mention it now. Eumistic Air Crew is a, it's a formation flying club, actually, in Tampa Bay okay. that I was a member of years ago. And they actually, they have, uh, it's a club, it's basically a club, and they do formation flights during what we have, it's called Gasparilla, the big festival here, and they do missing man formation. But but like you said, I mean, it, it's safety is so important that the training is pretty darn intense where, you know, they go over how you actually keep an aircraft off your wing. And of course, these are all military guys that are training you. And it they it's uh, it's actually if you know the rules and you follow the rules and you keep very vigilant, it's fairly safe. But again, like anything else, if you're that close to somebody else and you're flying, uh, you can get yourself into trouble mm -hmm. pretty quickly mm -hmm. too. Especially if the other people don't do what they're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, if if you want to check it out, it's at yemysticaircrew.com, and that's hard to spell. So I'll, why don't we put a link to that? And uh, you know their their byline is pilot pirates in the sky, but you know, I the first time I ever did formation flying was a buddy of mine, and he's like, "Hey, let's go into this airport." And uh, you know, we took off together and landed together, and and uh, you know, we prearranged it and all. And gosh, you know, I, I think about it now. It's like, you know, I never really had any training. This is a long time ago. I should have gone out and did a little bit of training prior to that. Mm -hmm. But but one of the things that that I didn't realize when you're doing the formation flying, the number one ship, the one everybody's following, say, that person's burning the least amount of gas. The other person who's trying to stay with the other person is burning a whole bunch of gas. And I, and I didn't realize that at first. And I was like, oh, wow, until I tried it. It's, it's very true because you're, you're constantly jockeying your, your throttle mm -hmm. or thrust to keep up with that person. Mm -hmm. How about you, Len? Did you, have you ever done that stuff? Uh, yeah, a little bit of formation flying uh, when we were up in Alaska doing the Super Cub, uh, flying in the Super Cub. We were out with another, another aviator in his uh, tri-pacer 
which was actually converted from the conventional, uh, um, you know, uh, to a a uh, tailwheel. And uh, this guy that we were flying with knew some areas to go to for some good uh, ski flying uh, just this past winter when I was up there in February. And so we did a two-ship formation, and we just stayed, uh, you know, um, behind him and to the right. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the, you know, the arrangement was if anything if anything went wrong, he was up front, he would peel to the left, we were in back, we'd go to the right. Uh, and that was kind of the the basic, and it's, it's just a little bit easier when there's only two of you, because, you know, if you if everybody knows where each other are in the two ship, if you're in front and I'm in back, all you got to do is go to the left and I go to the right, uh, it should be pretty harmless. But um, you do you do realize that there is some inherent dangers, and... Uh, it was quite actually. I don't know if you remember, Carl. I, I don't remember how long ago it was, but there was that Blue Angels team that actually um, mm. uh, they all act, crashed in the desert during practice um, in formation because you know it, it. I don't. I can't speak for what kind of you know that kind of formation flying, but you know being that tight and you know having that that view of the other person's wingtip. You're you're basically at the at the discretion of the lead aircraft wherever they go you go and that's a that's a you know a, a, an unfortunate example of what can happen um, and, you know the type of accidents that could happen in formation flying but uh, we didn't I mean I've never had any formal training in it and uh, same things I was aware about there in the in the um, in the far aim regarding the procedures and uh, like I said with the two with the two ship it was uh, it was pretty pretty easy as long as you know if you're going to be in the front or the back and if you're going to go left or right if something goes wrong uh yeah it's it's not too terrible but i do agree with you the the guy uh the guy or gal who's up front has got it easy it's the guy and gal in the back that are you know chasing around with the heading and the altitude and the speed trying to keep that uh keep that uniform distance so it can be a little bit challenging but especially uh, you were saying earlier, Victoria, that uh, that Rans was a slow aircraft compared to, I guess, the uh, you know the glass air. So, well, I will have you know, we didn't do a three ship formation. It's just the glass air stayed together because gotcha. we were similar aircraft. Well, we're the same aircraft in speed. And when I was reading that article, a lot of the problems and crashes occurred when there were two aircraft that were just not alike flying formation. And I have done that before. I went in the Rans once to take. Um, aerial photos of a pits and finding each other and staying each other to get, you know, decent pictures, those two different speeds and the different kind of aircraft, I can easily see where it can become problematic. And Mm -hmm. we were quite a distance from each other. We made sure we weren't, didn't go that close. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, when you're doing this, really think about the aircraft you're flying. And because I mean, we would have, first of all, gotten really hot got the engine really overheated if we slowed down and stayed by the rands that long. And then second of all, he's high wing, we're low wing. So there's another issue. If Mm. we were to get above him, we wouldn't see each other. So there's a lot of things to think about. Um, Not necessarily always your skill. Think about the aircraft you're flying as well. Sure. Speed configuration. Yeah. I didn't think, uh, I I thought about the speed, but not necessarily the high wing, low wing uh, issue and, and, you know, the whole um, blind spot type of thing. That's a good point as well. You know, now that we're talking, uh, just a little disclaimer, 
don't try this at home without some training. Thank you, you know, for I get, saying that, Carl. <laughs> gosh. Now you, you have know, to say it really, really fast at the end of the show. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mike Avcast is not responsible for any accidents occurring from this. Oh, boy. I can see I see people thinking, oh, boy, let me try this out. This doesn't sound Yeah, but sound they all said they did it without any training. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, well, you know. Um, I didn't say we're, it was smart. We're aviation supermodels. We do. That's right. We are supermodels. Right. Carl and his delightful and my tutu tier. and tiara. A tutu now. First it started out as a tiara. Now you have I'm a tutu. Yeah, picture. Oh, jeez. Please don't. We'll put Please. it on there. No. I already dropped my iPhone and broke the glass on it last month. You send that photo, it's going to shatter again. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Dang. That's why I don't have an iPhone. That's why. Well, Just well, put that out there. Send if you send it to her, you'll shatter her phone too. But it doesn't make a difference. So, Mine's Gorilla Glass. Thank you. Okay. Well, whatever. Anyway, we're not going to get into an iPhone Android battle here just yet. Um, what else do we want to talk about regarding uh, regarding uh, formation flying? Get trained and read about it. Some neat stuff out there. I mean, there's there's communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big one. This is definitely a big one. Don't just go out there thinking it's a very cool, awesome thing to do. It's serious business. It's true. Communicate, communicate, know your stuff, know mm-hmm. the planes. But it's awesome and very rewarding when you do it. We got some amazing pictures. But next time, I'm flying. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Did you happen to find any resources we could share with the listeners um, besides the, you know, the accident one that you talked about from AOPA, but uh, any other resources, learning resources that they could read and help educate themselves on, um, you know, becoming a little bit more proficient on getting a, a, a acclimated with a formation flying. Yeah, I um I just wanted to have more of a discussion today, so I did read up on things and I did find a lot of tips and tricks. Um, Flying Magazine I think had the most, okay. so I check out that. Um, that article I read was great. Um, it, it didn't just talk about the accidents. It it talked about a lot of other things as well. So um, okay. there's a plethora of information online, even forums. Um, unfortunately, I found a few where older pilots were yelling at younger pilots who, you know, were pretending to be hot shots and flying formation <laughs> and them telling they shouldn't have had. So be careful what you ask for. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. Well, uh, send, if you get a chance, send those over to me as well, and uh, we'll put make sure to put some of those ones that you read in the show notes. Uh, share with yeah. the share with the listeners. Um, I wonder. I mean, Carl, you said there was a flying club, you know, a formation flying club, if you will, down in Florida. That's that's actually the first time I've I've heard anything. I wonder if the, if any it's, of the other listeners know of anything in their area that we could share, um, for you know, as another resource for folks to get training. Do you know of any others besides that one? You know, it, when I when I was in it, they said it's the only one they knew of then. I mean, it's been around since the late or the early 90s. Uh, but maybe there are some other ones out there. Uh, that, that'd be great. That's a good question for our listeners. You know, send them in because I really don't know. I was looking on their links. I, I didn't find any other links to any other uh, flying clubs that do formation. Of course, you know, you, you have those. They're not clubs, but they're formation teams like the Rands and all that. Uh, or the Vans, I should say. Vans. Uh, uh, formation team, but uh, no, no, it's it's. Uh, I'll have to keep looking. Mm. Send them in, please. Yeah, please. It'd be interesting to find out what uh, what's out there and and share that with everybody. So pretty cool. Woo, yeah. woo. <laughs> um. All right, moving along. Uh, 
I'll tell a little bit of story. Does anybody want to hear about a hundred ham hundred dollar hamburger flight in Hawaii? Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> I didn't fly the airplane down to Hawaii. I just picked one up in Hawaii and flew it around the islands. But um I actually had an opportunity to fly a Cirrus SR22 G3 um, in when I was on vacation last month in Maui, and it was kind of it was it was actually pretty cool because it sort of turned into a flight lesson, which turned into a hundred dollar hamburger, which turned into an interview that's going to be coming out um, on the uh, as a a episode here in probably the next. Actually, this is thirty six. It's probably going to come out as thirty six a, and it turned into what looks like is going to be two flying videos as well. So. Uh, this a it was a like I said a depart we departed from Maui um, Maui Airport uh, Kahalui that's it that's how you say it. Kahalui Airport on the island of Maui and we headed over to the island of Lanai which is one of the neighboring islands in Hawaii and we did a landing there and we what we did was we took the shuttle uh, bus from the Lanai Airport up to the Four Seasons hotel at the top of the at the top of the mountain for uh for lunch and this airport excuse me actually this um this hotel this Four Seasons Lanai at the top of the mountain is actually where Bill Gates got married and uh she's absolutely gorgeous so you got to you got to take into account a few things here i mean you're not only flying in Hawaii and you're going for a $100 hamburger flight, but it's just the scenery is absolutely amazing. You've got mountains, you've got ocean, you've got cliffs, you've got all kinds of really cool stuff. Now, one of the first things that I, you know, you, I, I fly general aviation aircraft up here in the upper 48. So, you know, flight over, long, long distance flights over water aren't, um, aren't something that I normally deal with. So we get to the airport and we meet Lawrence, who um, who's the chief uh, the chief instructor at uh, Maui Flight Academy, and he's talking to us, uh, talking through us how to use the safety equipment. And that safety equipment that we had on uh, for myself and uh, my friend Melissa, who was with me, we had the airline style the airline style flotation devices that you actually buckle around your waist. So he briefed us on how to use those. And we had a life raft in the aircraft, a four-person life raft. And we also had a uh, canister of, um, it was like a, a, a portable scuba canister that was going to give us about five uh, five minutes of air if we were flipped over or underwater. Um, we also had a tool in there, a hammer tool to break the break the window and get out of the aircraft to cut away the seatbelts and all that kind of stuff too. So it was very interesting because I mean we we've all we got you know we're all kind of aware of this different types of safety equipment, but I've not actually you know put on a life jacket or a flotation device before actually boarding an aircraft and going for a flight. So it was, I, I don't necessarily know, I want to say it was probably about only 30, 40 miles across the, across the water to the island of Lanai. Um, and we did, you know, we did talk about if we were going to have, if there was any sort of emergency, uh, you actually hear a little bit about this during the interview process, but you know, in the Cirrus, we would just pull the parachute and, um, that's what we were going to do. So we went over to Lanai, we took the, took the, um, took the shuttle bus up to the Four Seasons, had lunch and, uh, spent about two hours there just talking. Uh, actually it turns out he was, uh, he was a podcast listener, um, uh, one of our listeners at the podcast. So that was pretty cool. So we talked about a lot of stuff there. And then what we did next is we went from Lanai over to the, another adjacent island called Molokai. 
And this, I think, is probably going to be one of the favorite videos that I share with you guys here uh, in the coming weeks. But you fly over the island of Molokai. Uh, you're at about 2,500 feet. And when you reach the end of the island, um, being at 2,500 feet, AG, or 2,500 feet MSL, you're roughly about 500 feet above the ground. And when you reach the the edge of the island, it just drops, sheer drop, straight down to the straight down to sea level. And there's a piece of land, a plot of land out there with the uh, with the airport for Molokai. So, um, as as soon as you cross the uh, the sea cliffs. You have to make a, you know, not a not a real spiraling descent, but you, you come and do like a, a 270 and you come descending around and you line up for the runway. And depending on depending on how choppy the sea is, it's not uncommon for waves to be splashing over the runway when you're coming down on the approach. Um, and it was just one of the coolest experiences that I've ever had. And I wanted to share, uh, you know, I'm going to share the interview and the videos coming up here pretty shortly, like I said. Um but it's it's one of those one of those like I, th I guess I would call it the extreme hundred dollar hamburger flight because that's probably pro one of the coolest not just because of where we were but uh, you know we got to do some over water flying we got to do some mountain flying we got to do um, all kinds of different stuff and so it was, it was one of the coolest things that I've done and we came back to Maui and called it quits uh, and went on our, our separate way. But uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about Maui Flight Academy later on in the show. It's uh, it's my pick of the week. So um, just a really, really cool place to fly. Has anybody had a, an opportunity to fly in Hawaii? Never no. been there. You haven't? No, that's one of my that's on my bucket list. Hawaii and Alaska. And, and Len, you've done that in the past year. I've you, done them you're both. You're my hero. <laughs> yes, living vicariously through you, Len. <laughs> Mm. Well, Hawaii was one of the last two uh, U.S. states that I've not been to. I've, I've been to 49 now, and the only one that I have left is Oregon. And Oregon. so when I was looking at vacation, I was like, Hawaii or Oregon? Hawaii or Oregon? I was like, Hawaii, definitely. Oregon's not, uh, not there's anything wrong with Oregon, but when, you know, when compared to Hawaii, I was definitely drawn to, to a, an island vacation. So I only got one state left. And in fact, uh, another friend of ours, um, Dan Pimentel of Airplanista fame, lives out in Oregon. So I think I'll go visit him sometime and uh, maybe we'll go flying in, in his airplane. So that'd be another another fun vacation. Well, I was going to try to race you, but I think you're going to beat me. I'm, I'm, I might. I'm, yeah, you probably are because I still have Alaska, Hawaii, and, and uh, well, let's see. Which Delaware. one is it? Delaware. Delaware. Of all places. I've never been to <laughs> Delaware. I've never flown into Delaware. There's a good $100 hamburger in Delaware. There's a lot there. of cool places Got a lot of old MIGs like hanging out at the airport. Hey, what's it? What's what I know Newcastle. I've known Georgetown. that. Georgetown. Oh, Georgetown. That's right. Yeah. I've, I've heard of that. Delaware, one. not Washington. Not D.C., right? Delaware. Yes. Yes. No, I won't go there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that'd be cool. That's a, But Len, that's that's awesome, man. That's, that's but the video a, is The video and the photos that I have, I can't really... I mean, you can only tell a story so much, you know, via audio, but uh, the visuals that I have to share on the website are, are just going to... We actually... Pictures are cool. When we cross... Well, this is the funny thing, right? When we crossed... <laughs> When we were at that twenty five hundred feet, and we crossed the you know the the sea cliff, and it dropped straight down to sea level, Melissa was in the back, and she was just like, you could hear her in the video. Actually, it's kind of funny. You can hear her just go, "Oh my 
God. <laughs> She's like so, <laughs> so excited. Um, the, the pictures are beautiful. It's just unbelievable. He was telling me that some of the sea cliffs over there go up um, as far as 30 some odd thousand feet below the ocean, uh, you know, the water level. So it's quite an amazing place um, to fly down in Hawaii. And actually, a mutual friend of ours um, has. I'm not going to say, I won't mention his name on the air, but uh, Victoria and Carl, we've, we, you, you guys know him, another Cirrus owner who's, uh, who's, one of his goals was to fly in all 50 states. Um, and, w- you know, when I was meeting with Lawrence and he, we were having this conversation, he's like, yeah, I've had some folks, I've met some folks that wanted to fly in all 50 states. And I was like, you know, my friend so-and-so, he's like, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, I was thinking that while you were telling the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, like, okay, so, you know, the aviation world is pretty small, but now it's so even small. a little bit smaller. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, and I'll tell, like I said, I'll tell you a little bit more about the actual Maui Flight Academy here coming up at the end of the show. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to, wanted to share that excitement, and uh, it's going to accompany... You know, a couple of extra pieces of media for the podcast that I think you guys will really enjoy. Um, and that stuff's coming out really soon. So, um, Carl, we've all been a little bit chatty today. Do you, th- you think we should move on to uh, you squeeze squeeze in your discussion here? Or what do you say? I, I, I can do the short or the long version. The short or the long. How about the, how about the medium? The medium? Okay. Somewhere in the middle. I'll just, yeah, I'll just say, hey, Carly. It's like a hamburger. Wrap medium it up. Rare. He wants it medium rare. He'll text me. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, yeah, my, mine actually comes from a listener. It's a question. It's a technical question. So, and, and Len and, and Victoria, who's an instrument-rated pilot, can help me out with this one. And it's from one of our listeners, Matt. And he had asked me, uh, he was on an instrument flight. And he's got the flight plan filed and all. But it's VMC, Visual Meteorological Conditions. Before he departed the runway, the tower gave him a specific heading to fly. So he says, you know, fly heading 090. When he looks at the back of the 10-9 page, okay, now the 10-9 page, he's referring to his Jeppesen charts. And the 10-9 page said there was an obstacle departure procedure that was in a textual description for that runway. Matt's question is this. Should he fly the heading and ignore the ODB, or Obstacle Departure Procedure. And you know, Matt, this is a great question. Uh, Len, I don't know if you you get this feedback, but I occasionally get this question while we're doing a departure briefing at the airline. Uh, you know, what do we do? Do we follow right. the, the, the vector from air traffic control, or do we follow the textual description of it? And the, the answer is... It depends. The short answer. Well, the fly the heading is the, is the answer. You fly the heading. Uh, and that's that's what you need to do. Now, of course, we're talking, the person who asked this question is flying part 91, okay? Well, now, when I said it depends, I was thinking more of like a VFR, IFR, but go ahead. Right, right. Well, now, remember, now, this is your IFR, okay? It's visual conditions. Now, this is all going to be IFR, instrument instrument rules here. And but But the FA does say that they feel that you should use the obstacle departure procedure, okay, when you are departing there. But if you are giving a ve- given a vector, you do need to follow that vector. Now, the airlines, part 121, 135, uh, 129, they all have different ways that they calculate their obstacle clearance based on this the first departure procedure. 
and that allows them to make turns afterwards. But but the short answer is yes, you do want to follow that. Now, what gets really confusing is that, and I don't, I'm not going to go into the background of this, but the FA decided to combine all these into one, and they decided to scrap that. We have SIDS, which are standard instrument departure procedures, and we have obstacle departure procedures, which are depicted in a textual format that's on the back of the 10-9, uh, also in the NACA in the government charts is in the front of the of the TERPS uh, terminal procedures manual. But there's also uh, obstacle departure procedures that are depicted in graphical form. The ones that are depicted in graphical form, if you're given that, or if you're given a SID standard instrument departure, you have to follow that, of course. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's. But this is not what they're talking about. They're specifically talking about the textual description that's in the back there. And when you're part 91, you can do whatever you want. But you know what? If you hit something, it's going to be your fault. And mm -hmm. They're going to go back and say, why didn't you follow the obstacle departure procedure? Mm -hmm. uh, does that make sense? I mean, if you're, not, if you're given that heading, though, you do, you do want to comply with the heading. Now, here's an interesting thing about this. And this is a, a little subtlety that a lot of people don't realize. that You can file a SID or you can fly, file an ODP in your flight plan, right? But the textual obstacle departure procedure, you usually don't file that. So you can actually put in your flight plan and say, uh, I'm going to follow the obstacle departure procedure for runway 26, say. And you put that right in your, your flight plan. Obstacle departure, textual obstacle departure procedure for runway 26. And you put that in the comments section when you're actually uh, going there and following your flight plan. Uh, but this, yeah, it's actually a great place to put that because a lot of times yep. you're like, "What do I put in that comments section?" That's a that's a good uh, a good reminder. And, and remember, these ODPs are are defined for um, runways that have instrument procedures on them. They wouldn't have sure an ODP for ones that do not, because there's a lot of folks out there that don't to fly into airports that don't have an obstacle departure procedure. So of course you need to be able to to go and take off VFR and, and get into the. Mm -hmm. IFR environment, but this specifically, if a tower is at an airport, you you filed, you picked up your clearance, you take off, and and remember, there's these these obstacle departure procedures. They have you know they don't include any ATC related climb requirements, uh, and, and there's only one one that's depicted for each runway if it's a textual description, and this is considered the default IFR departure procedure, and you know it's in, and this is intended. For use in absence of the air traffic control radar vectors or a SID assignment. Right. So therefore you would use it if nothing else was given. But remember, air traffic control gave this person a, a vector, so you use that vector. So again, when you're briefing your, your runway of departure, there is one thing, and I'm, I'm guilty of it, uh, just like everybody else, you forget to brief the obstacle departure. So always think about it. And I think, Len, you said you do that. But uh, um, I mean, seventy five percent of the time you may. I'm, have yeah, I'm not going to say that I remember to do it every time, but um, I try to make it a point to look at that. Uh, and and there's other things, obviously, in our work environment that we have. Um, we have a lot of other things for like single engine departures. So there's there's those. There's there's, there's a lot of things, and and sometimes I just occasionally forget to look at the obstacle departure procedure. But what I wanted to go maybe a step just back for a minute was when you were talking about the ODP at, um, you know, in lieu of any other air traffic control instructions, that's for, say, a, a uncontrolled airport. And I actually experienced this, uh, which was act the, the really the first time that I had to use one. I was flying the 414 
and we flew into Blacksburg, Virginia for uh, we flew some customers in for to go to the Virginia Tech game. And when we're leaving, it's it's nighttime, it's dark. And so you're surrounded by mountains. Uh, right next to the airport is the uh, Virginia Tech Stadium. And uh, I'm looking, you know, trying to figure out how to get out the, out of there that night. And I found the obstacle departure procedure. And it had, you know, the instructions on what altitude to turn at, uh, what heading to turn. It was basically a, a, a procedure in which you were going to take off and turn back towards the NDB um, and while you're gaining altitude before you could essentially proceed in the whatever direction it was that we were headed. And uh, that was the first time I've actually used one in real life. And it, you know, it, it was still VMC conditions, but it was nighttime. So I wasn't going to take my, you know, take my chances with the whole scene of void with terrain and other stuff like that at night. So that was my first exposure to one. That's, that's good. That's a good example. That's a great example. And, and by following that, you keep yourself safe. You know, and obviously I have a whole other description of, you know, obstacle departures and, and, and how they actually on my website, expertaviator.com, you can check it out. Just tells you how, how they're designed, you know, to keep you away from things. Right. And, uh, but just, you know, just a quick, you know, so I know we have the shorter version. So just, just in conclusion though, if you're, let's, let's make sure people know if you're flying part one, part, excuse me, part 91, and there's a textual obstacle departure procedure for the runway you're using, and ATC, air traffic control, assigns you a heading, then you must follow the ATC instruction right. and fly the heading after departure. Right. Okay? That's just to make that clear. But then again, with that said, you're the pilot in command. You're responsible for the safety of the flight. If you don't feel comfortable with that, stop. Say, hey, listen, I'd rather do this. And, and then you can, you can discuss that with the air traffic controller. Yeah. Stop and yeah. do that before you take off, though. That's what, yeah. Carl's, that's what <laughs> Carl's saying. You know, stop. <laughs> Look at it, figure out, okay, speak up and, and query air traffic control and decide what, uh, what, the, what the next bit is going to be. And I, I have an ad nauseum description of this, and we can put that in the show notes. And, you know, it's called Obstacle Departure Procedures and Assigned Headings uh, on expertaviator.com. And I go into the whole background of the FAA and, and in their infinite wisdom trying to, to, you know, put together what obstacle departure procedures are in SIDS. And by the way, we did mention, you know, where you find these. Again, if you're in JEPS, you look at your 10-9, 10-9A, mm -hmm. and in the TERPS, you look at the front of the manual for those obstacle departure procedures. Is that, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all we have. You know, the FARs are out there. It's 91-175. You can check that out as far as uh, who must use these. And uh, so, again, if you're part 91, you don't have to use them, but it's really highly recommended, especially mm -hmm. at night. Yeah, that, that's why I did it. That's what I was that's telling right. you before. That's exactly why I did that one, and I used that. Uh, it was definitely helpful. I'm glad um, you mentioned it. Yeah, well, you made me remember it, as, and I was like, I'm like, as, where where did I do this? And I had to just quickly look up on my phone. I'm like, Blacks, uh, Blacks. I was like, oh, Blacksburg, Virginia. Okay, I remember now. <laughs> our Picks of the Week. Uh, we'll move along over to our Picks of the Week, and starting with uh, Victoria, tell us about your Pick of the Week today. Sure thing. Um, my pick of the week is about Amber Nolan, a.k.a. the Flying Gypsy. Um, she's a journalist who is hitchhiking around the country using only general aviation to get places. So she's just picking up pilots with Cessnas or whatever, and that's how she gets places. Um, what's really cool is she's promoting the use of GA and um, is actually going to try to make it out to the Frederick Fly It Forward event in March. Um, the catch is she needs pilots like us to get her here and anywhere else she needs to go in between. 
So uh, for more info, you can check out her uh, site at flyinghitchhikergypsy.com. Pretty interesting uh, quest she's on. That is so cool. I think I heard about her. Yeah, actually, um, I've been talking to uh, her manager or whatever for a while now, and it, um, now she's really she was in the San Francisco Times, and uh-huh. now she just made it into the most recent AOPA uh, e-pilot. So okay, she's getting known. She's uh, hopefully some pilots will read that and want to help her out because it's it's pretty cool, and we're going to be flying anyway, so might as well take a passenger sure. and drop her off somewhere. Sure, very neat. Uh, Carl, tell us about your pick of the week. Well, my pick of the week is actually somebody that. Uh, I interviewed for uh, my Aviation Careers podcast, and his name is Chris Finley, and he has a book. And, you know, a lot of times we go to the airport and we ask people about how to fly. Well, he came out with a book about how how to start lessons. And when we go to the airport, I find, I don't know about you, but, gosh, it doesn't seem like it's that friendly of an environment, especially to an outsider. And and what Chris has done is he's put together a book called You Can Be a Pilot. And just breaks down some of these these simple questions, frequently asked questions. You know, how can you become a pilot? And and you know, Chris's purpose, I think, was to have FBOs and schools have this so they can take that home with them, that book. But you know what? You you can preempt that and go out there and and pick up that book. It's called You Can Be a Pilot. And he has done a terrific job of taking it and taking those questions that everybody asks every time you hear them, you know, how much does this cost? How long is it going to take me? Do I have to have perfect eyes? You know, do I have to be in perfect health? How, you know, is there any cheaper ways to fly? Those type of things. He, he does a, a terrific job of going through that. So, again, that's Chris Finley. You can actually find it at uh, – I did an interview with Chris. It's at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash 18. And we'll have links to that that interview. And also on there, there's a link to, to his book. So it's You Can Be a Pilot. It answers 25 of the popular questions about learning to fly by Chris Finley. That Chris. sounds like a great gift. Um, I yes. have a cousin who was asking me about learning to fly the other day. I should ship him the book. Yes. Yes, do that. Hmm. It's a it's a neat little book. I I, I tell you, it's it, I like the the cover on there. I think I can't remember what that is on there, but it looks like a a sport. Uh, and excuse me, an LSA. I think that's on there. I could be wrong. Could be Do you remember two. what Chris's Twitter handle is? Is uh, it my flight coach or something along my, those lines? My flight coach is his, his podcast. Uh, myflightcoach.com is his website, and you can find him there. But yeah, okay, uh, you might be right about Chris. Finley's. Yeah, the reason I asked is because actually, when I when I started Stuck Mike Avcast, he was the one that uh, that um, helped us get started, gave me some background on on you know the the back end on how to get everything set up. So good guy, definitely check out his book. That's for oh, sure. he's terrific, a, a neat fellow, just. Real sincere. He did a, we did an episode about how to become an aircraft salesperson. And yes, his Twitter handle is my flight. Okay, coach. cool. Yeah, I was, I was like, I know this name. I know this name for a reason. Yes, this is the very man responsible for why we are where we are today. Yes, helping us uh, get set up. So great. Um, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, my pick of the week is Maui Flight Academy at the Kahului Airport in Maui, Hawaii. Uh, Maui Flight Academy is. A, um, it consists of a Cirrus SR-22 G3 aircraft. Uh, the chief instructor's name is Lawrence. He, uh, he runs, the, runs the operation there. And it's not an air taxi. It's not an air tour. It is flight instruction. And, and <clears throat> you don't have to be a Cirrus pilot. But, uh, you know, primarily he does get a lot of Cirrus pilots. And initially, at one point, um, one of the things you'll hear about this in the interview, but essentially folks were trying to find a way to uh, 
to like earn a rating or certificate or pursue some flight training while on vacation. And that's kind of where the business started to grow for, uh, for Lawrence down there. But you don't have to be a Cirrus pilot to go flying with him. So if you're looking for some experience in a Cirrus or high performance or glass cockpit or uh, whatever it is, uh, MauiFlightAcademy.com is the website. Uh, like I said, the gentleman's name is Lawrence. Uh, you'll hear about uh, more about the business in episode 36A, which is the interview, the audio interview that I did with him when we were actually at the Lanai Airport. Uh, and then uh, from that, you'll see a couple of videos, uh, two videos specifically um, that I have right now sitting in queue to uh, to be released. The one from flying from Maui to Lanai and then my favorite one, the one I was talking about, uh, the Cliffs of Molokai. Um, that's where that came from. So Maui Flight Academy is the uh, website. He is also on Twitter and Facebook. I think it's Maui Flight on Twitter. Uh, check it out if you're ever down in the area, you're looking for flight instruction, or if you are a Cirrus owner or looking to fly Cirrus and you want to do some flying in Hawaii, that's the man to see. The After Landing Checklist. Well, great. Uh, Carl, tell listeners your contact information, how they can get in touch with you and all that good stuff. Uh, the easiest way to find me is go to my blog, expertaviator.com, or to my podcast, aviationcareerspodcast.com. Victoria. You can find all my contact info and everywhere I'm at at uh, toriaflies.blogspot.com. Everywhere she's at, including sitting in the patio lawn chair in the backyard, right? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, my, uh, well, actually, the only thing I've got going for me these days is the old Twitter account, and that's at Len Costa. Of course, uh, we do really love hearing, um, you know, getting your questions and feedback here at the podcast. We are Stuck Mike Avcast on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can also write us at stuckmikeavcast at gmail.com, or if you would like to call and leave us uh Leave us a voicemail or a question, something that we could play on the air. That is 617-981-4134. So from uh, myself, Len Costa, Carl Valeri, Rick Felty, and Victoria Nouvel, we do all wish you guys, uh, or thank you for tuning in here to episode number 36 of the Stuck Mike Avcast, and wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.